Welcome to Deep Shift. I am Michael Armstrong, and my guest today is Andrew Elijah Edwards, the creator and host of The Andrew Elijah Show, a monthly video show told through the landscape of parallel realities, which is possibly the weirdest show that I have seen in a long time. <laughs> uh, and it's one that I love, and I am a Patreon supporter of. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So I, I want to get into this new show. You just launched it recently, right? It was mm -hmm. just within the last few days. Yeah. On the 2nd, I think is when it came out. On the 2nd of November. So the uh, the election eve, you yeah. <laughs> get, get it out there before things got too crazy. Yeah. Well, I was working towards releasing it. And I what I've, one thing I've learned through releasing this show is that my, my sense of how long each step will take is totally unrealistic. So I, I kept telling my friends, like, oh, it'll be out in a week. It'll be out in a week. Um, and I just kept wanting to tweak things and polish things. So I was exporting files on Halloween, thinking like, oh, cool, it'll be a Halloween release. And then it was, okay, it's a Day of the Dead release. It's a Day de Muertes. And then it was like, okay, no, it's Election Eve. And I, I'm glad it came on Election Eve. And that buildup was such a strange thing, right? Like Halloween into day of the dead into the election yeah like, what a weird couple of days but um you know I, this is such a strange time for all of us and um one thing my show has going for it is a sense of play and um jo joyous play and i think at this moment where everything is so serious and so dividedly serious it was um synchronous that it got to be released on that time to release some of that playful energy into the the consciousness yeah. And so how, how long is the full, so the episodes in two parts, one part two is, I, I think the whole thing runs, I don't know the exact minute, but it's about 45 minutes, 45 minutes. That's a yeah. good, that's a good amount of time for a self-produced self-edited created show. Thanks. Yeah. Um, it's hard to know what the best amount of time would be. You know, it's this interesting thing of the attention spans in the internet culture, but um, there's a lot in act two and act one that is sort of hits different kinds of themes. There's really playful, experimental um, performance and acting mixed with animation, mixed with, at the end, I close with this monologue that's more of a sort of philosophical, um, me sort of preaching to a certain degree. So I'm hoping that it hits the right buttons for different kinds of people in terms of um, what they are interested in. And it certainly runs the gamut of all the things that I'm interested in, in terms <laughs> of um, the fullness of my personality. And for people who, who have not yet had the opportunity to watch your show uh it i would describe it as um it's almost like it, it seems as though everything is is a green screen so you're in an entirely different computer generated yeah. environment that shifts and you go into other dimensions and all the characters are played as yourself and so you're speaking with yourself and like one point you're like really small and it's uh yeah it's yeah, it's it's fascinating, and I say it's like one of the weirdest shows I've seen in a while because it literally is. Uh, it even has the the music, even gives it like a almost eerie, like like a little bit creepy, like ooh, what like what's going on? And uh, I just think it's brilliant what what you put together, and I'm I want to hear about the the production of it and how long it took to to create this first episode. Yeah, it was a whole journey. Um my life transformed dramatically in this past year as a lot of people's lives have. And I moved into an apartment by myself for the first time 
And in that space of newness for myself, I had intended to dive in creatively to bring a bunch of things together. Um, my whole journey has been really interesting. I grew up as an actor and then I got scared away from becoming an actor when I went off to college. I thought the idea of waiting tables in Manhattan seemed terrible to me. Um, a lot of my friends went to work in New York, which was really cool, but I ended up switching over to film because I thought I would bring those performance skills to the other side, to the creative side. Um, so I went off to film school. That led me into the arts. There was people doing new media and video artwork where I was at film and I sort of left the mainstream film and went in to get a, a graduate degree in um, what was called emergent digital practices. So it's sort of smorgasbord of digital tools. Um, but I, I got led back into acting uh, as my life progressed and realized that that was the core of my passion. Sort of, I had these other aspects of myself, but that performing and bringing myself physically and vocally to, to be seen was where it was at for me. So now and, I'm sort of trying to bring all this stuff together. Just to, just to quickly interrupt, as you were saying this, it looked as though a pillow flew by you. Oh yeah, we got some stuff here, you know. No, no worries. There's uh, some some creatures living amongst us, but they're harmless. You don't have to. Worry. I just didn't know if you knew that there was a pillow. Uh, oh, he's flying. around. He's around, but uh, he doesn't hurt you. Um, sometimes he, uh, he warps reality into his own ways, but that's you know, it's it'll it's for the best, really. Um, so, so um, yeah, so I uh, I'm trying to bring all these things together. Um, this idea of bringing acting and my animation and, and video skills that I'd been developing for years. It's interesting. I had sort of like had all these separate muses. Like I would have these artistic muses where I would make much more sort of meditative sculptural artwork. And then I'd have performances and, and acting, which felt like an entirely different part of my soul. So this, my intention was starting this process was to bring all that stuff together, to bring this sort of imaginal space into this sort of glowing, um, performative thing. Um, so I started over the summer while I was still um, in my job that I had at the time. Um, and it was, it took a couple months of sort of playfully engaging with the project. I hadn't dove in seriously. It was something I was doing in my free time at the pace that felt joyous. Um, my intention was to create something without whipping myself into doing it. You know, there's this whole process mm. of the creator of like, how do you make yourself show up, but not turn it into something that's self-judgmental? Like, how do you keep that joy and spontaneity? So for the first, the first thing that I created was that dance piece in, in the first act. Which is brilliant. Thanks. Um, <laughs> so I made that first as a kind of thing I was creating out of the joy of bringing together the idea of um, acting and animation on green screen. And, and it was the height of the quarantine, right? So like, I moved into my apartment in March, uh, with this intention of like setting new energies for myself as an individual, sort of isolating from relationships and patterns I'd had and creating a new sense of self. And sort of, I navigated myself into this timeline where like the whole world had, was doing the same thing simultaneously. Hmm. Like, let's all not go near each other and stay in our houses, which is what my intention had been. But somehow I showed up in this reality where everyone was doing it. <laughs> it's a powerful intention. Yeah, right. So, um, so the green screen... It was work I'd always wanted to do, but also when you're alone, isolated in your own space, it's it's the performance option that you have, right? So all these sort of things came together. Um, so I worked on that. I was almost about to re release it, and I still hadn't finished it up. And around that same time, I was feeling 
you know, to really move forward with my creativity and with my passion, I needed to leave the work that I was doing at the time. Um, for the past five years, I've worked at a place called Spindleworks, which is an art studio for people with developmental disabilities. So that's sort of autism, Down syndrome, um, various neurological um, differences, uh, teaching art and helping people to learn to make and sell art, which has been incredible. Um, but I was feeling that it was time to move forward. So, I, you know, I dove off of that cliff and said, let's do it. Let's, let's leave the job and let's see what happens if I f- focus on this all the time. Um, and did you write? Did you write it all first or was it a lot of it improv? I wrote it all first. There's stuff that arises in improv, but I'd say 90% of it is written. Um, and uh, the writing happens for me like in the moment. I have, Google, I have these Google Docs for running for various things, which allows me to sort of be on the road or be going somewhere and suddenly an idea pops up, open the app, jot the note down. Because I find that, like, that, that to get like those moments, I have to catch them in the flow. So that's sort of my process of collecting and downloading from the Neosphere. And then I wrote the whole thing. Um, so I realized I wasn't going to energetically be able to make this thing if I was still working, partly because I didn't have the time. And also because when there's this foot safely in a job, there's this sense of um, not having your energy fully in the direction, you know, it was sort of splitting my energy. There's this sort of job mind working for someone else when it's not fully your, your soul that you have to turn yourself off a little bit. And so then, then they'd be coming out of that shell, getting back into the flow. So I realized to make something real, I have to just do it. I have to dive in. Um, so I, I left my job. I had a little bit of savings, allowed myself to have some time uh, to focus on it. And that's when I thought of the, the concept for the show and thought, okay, let's create a whole space for everything that I've wanted to do, these sort of um, monologue lecture preaching moments, these animation play, this music development. Uh, what if I bring everything into one space? And then I, I decided to bring that piece I'd started as the, the entry into first, in the first act, something that would sort of set the stage for things, um, and then developed content for act two and wrote the whole thing. Um, and then I spent about a month and a half developing it. It took about half a month to get the sort of main structure. So like building the stage and the intro and some of the music and stuff. And then the content was about a month and a half. And when you say building the stage, is that virtual? It's all virtual, building? yeah. There's only okay. one scene that's physically done, that's um, practically done. Uh, there's this Andrew in the booth character, uh, the guy who's running the show behind the scenes. Ah, uh, yes. Um, that's a great archetype in general. After I was making it, I was thinking, have you seen Spirited Away? Uh, it's funny you say that because my, my friends are coming over this Saturday to watch Spirited Away for my first time there. Cool. A few cool. times, yeah. So there's this character in Spirited Away who's called Kamaji, I think is his name. And he lives in the boiler room underneath the, the spirit bathhouse. And he's got all these arms and he's constantly running things. He's pushing buttons and pulling levers. Mm-hmm. And this idea of like an entity who's in charge of like the stuff under this, under the, under the, underneath it, you know, the things that, that make it all happen um, was really interesting. I was watching a lot of podcasts uh, that would have a booth guy, you know, like, uh, Joe Rogan's kind of controversial character, but that he always has this guy, Jamie in the booth. There's other podcasts where they'll hire Hold a guy Jamie. there. And, um, uh, this idea of like a dude who's in charge of like the tech. So I was watching a lot of these podcasts and I was like, Oh, I should make a character who is that guy. Like he's not really running the show. I mean, I am making the show, but in I'm performing this idea of a character. So, um, so that guy has a set. He's got like all these monitors and screens and buttons and things. And that all I built with stuff that I have. Um, and I think it pays off. This, those shots are really magical. 
I, I love that character. Yeah. I, um, I really enjoy him. Thanks. Yeah. So most of it is done virtually. I've been, I've been making animations through uh, 3D modeling uh, in Blender for a couple of years. And so um, bringing those skills to create a space for my acting skills is really interesting to me. Like, what if I act inside of things that I'm making and, you know, the computer, computer arts, digital art, it's, it's always been a sort of interesting experience for me because nature is where like the soul of the universe is. And there's always this dichotomy between like technology and nature and like when is too much technology, when is not enough. Um, and I've always felt this sense of some guilt about like being such a techno, techno guy. Um, but I've just come to embrace the fact that something about my soul and coming into this life uh, came here for those reasons. And to me, it's the dreamiverse. It's like, you know, there's this dreamscape that we all come from and our current technology is the closest thing we have right now to manifesting that stuff physically. Um, I think you and I have talked before about the idea of like technology setting an architecture for a kind of psychic future for humanity. Um, that possibly the internet eventually falls away, but has created this sort of reverberation between us that grows into something like a psychic, a more, I mean, we all have these psychic powers, but something that's much more conscious and obvious to everybody. Um, so to me, tech, animation and video and all this stuff is like um, a way to physically hold and create that connection to the dreamscape. Um, and the show is basically that, is wandering through this multiverse of dreams um, using technology to manifest that. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, yeah, it's really quite brilliant how it's how it's done, and uh, it just seems like it took a long time to do. Yeah, uh, because it's it's professional, and yeah, it's, I love that it's it's weird. You know, it's like the first episode. It's just I, I I'm amazed that you wrote it beforehand because it seems so improv of like characters, just like the silliest things happening, and, and the conversations <laughs> are like, how did you even think of that? Uh, and I, I was excited about it because I knew you were, uh, you know, you got the spiritual side to yourself. You got that like uh, kind of out there side to you because uh, you and I met in Sedona at a Bashar event. Yeah. Uh, Bashar, who who channels uh, an extraterrestrial race. Uh, so <laughs> instantly. Yeah, weird. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I think yeah, weird. Weirdness is is my cup of tea. I mean, to me, the universe is weird, you know, and, and uh, nature is weird. You go sit in the woods for a little while and the patterns and textures and, and structures are just this sort of wiggly, wild nonsense, you know? Yeah, that um, this reality exists is, is weird enough in itself. Yeah, that waking up from, you know, this idea of evolution of consciousness is a, is a tapping into that weirdness. This sense of profundity is like, the, the idea that we get used to this is, the, yeah. is actually the weird thing. It's very you know, weird. The fact anything seems normal is the weird part. It's, it's much more normal to be like, it's a trip. Like this whole thing's a trip, let, let alone that you're like on this giant ball flying around a, a, a burning like uh, electromagnetic sphere uh, uh, or that yeah. you're self-aware and like made, you're riding in this like meat, meat vehicle. Like the yeah. whole thing's a trip, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the strangest thing. It's absolutely strange. It boggles my mind how normalized it has become. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's also uh, kind of endearing that people don't question it. Right. Like people are so content with this being reality and this is life and yeah, this is it. This this meat vehicle that we are in <laughs> is normal. <laughs> it's finding that balance, right? Because like I used to think a lot about the idea of the automaton within ourselves and there's this like give and take between the automaton and the wakeful part. 
because you don't want to think about breathing all the time. You don't want to think about locomotion, movement. There's things you want to ha just happen. And when we give in too much to that automated part of ourselves, that's when we fall asleep and when we get bored and when we have no sense of uh, excitement and joy. And it's taking some of that back. But when you uh, take those veils off too much, um, you can get overloaded. And, you know, people with autism, I think one thing that's happening is that their filter levels are just not present in the same way that um, non-autistic people are. And uh, you can make the case that autistic people are seeing reality in a much more, um, they're taking in a lot more that we're all filtering out. And so those filtering mechanisms are helpful to function. And, but it's this dance of like, how much do we filter and how much do we become conscious to and bringing back that consciousness to the things that we've let become, you know, just uh, automated. Yeah. So what was your uh, idea behind Patreon? Uh, I love Patreon. I mean, I've been interested in crowdfunding for a long time. This idea that um, decentralizing economics, you know, being able to, to create an interconnection between everybody. I, I often think about this idea of like, I think eventually we'll have AI sort of looking at big structures and helping us solve problems. Um, but that if you could look at the economics of everybody, you could fix a lot of stuff, you know, that like there's one guy who suddenly can't make rent. He needs a thousand bucks and there's a thousand people with a dollar in their pocket that they don't care about or that they're willing to toss, you know, at, to buy some gum or something. And if you could just pop all those dollars over here, this dude's got a thousand dollars that he needs. And there's a sort of balancing act that can happen. And when we interconnect society on this digital level, we're able to do this thing with like, you know, mixing and popping things around. So the idea of Patreon being, uh, it, there's a lot of people that are interested enough in what I could make and have a little bit of money to spare. Um, and that I could actually make a living off of that, that gesture. Um, I wanted to keep it low. I, the, the Patreon is $3 a month. Um, that allows you to see act two. Um, there's, uh, it's a, the model of act one and act two is something that I also think is really powerful. Um, there's a show, uh, mysterious universe, you know, that show haven't seen um, it. It's a, it's a podcast that talking about, uh, paranormal supernatural stuff. Um, I used to subscribe to it years ago, but they have a model where their act one is free and their act two, they call it something else, but part one or whatever, um, is paid. And so you get an hour episode that you can access and then another hour that you can continue with as a member. And I think that model is, is just profound because it allows you to sort of set the space for anybody without this sort of like capitalism wall of like, you can't get in if you haven't paid. It's like, mm -hmm. no, come on in, chill out with us, get the vibe. And if you're into it, hang around. And I okay. think you, you really, it's, it's, a, it's a loving way to, to let people into your space. And I think it, it makes you more likely to have people who are willing to pay. Um, and the $3 thing is, three is a magic number to me. It's my 33rd year. I'm 33 years old uh triangles uh bashar all these kinds of ideas of, of the power of three the trinity um so three dollars is a magic number but also uh it's the amount of money that i think people would willingly spend casually you know like yeah. five to ten bucks is like a netflix subscription which is like oh do i want hulu or netflix this month but three bucks is the amount of money that i think is like easy casual for most people um of all economic almost all economic spectrums um so I wanted to make it a, a comfortable, safe amount of money. And some Patreons do tiers. So you have like uh, tier one, tier two, tier three. I wanted to flatten that out because I didn't want to create a sense of like priority or hierarchy. Um, so it's one membership, three bucks a month to come on in. 
um, yeah, and uh, Patreon and all of these sort of crowdfunding things are think are incredibly powerful for creators um, and uh, for decentralizing economics, where we're not all linked into some hub and gatekeepers, but we can just connect to each other through the web. Yeah, three. Yeah, it's like pocket change. Three bucks. Uh, it's very very doable. Yeah. When when I saw it, I was like, you know, like even if I didn't even watch the show i would still want to just give you three dollars to support you for the time and effort put into it um but as as an added bonus i actually really enjoy it yeah and uh yeah i enjoyed i enjoyed watching part two in the patreon uh and the yeah crowd crowdsourced uh money is i think a really remarkable kind of world-changing humanity-changing uh invention yeah. that came along with the internet. It's like with the, the new Borat movie that came out, there's this woman, Janice Jones in it. She's this black woman who is really the voice of reason. Have you seen the new Borat? Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it's brilliant the way that it, it blends uh, fiction and reality together uh, to tell a story, kind of a improv in real time as it's happening, coronavirus, all that. Uh, but there, there's this woman who's just, she's great. She, she doesn't know that, sh- that she's essentially in a fake show. Um, but the advice she gives is so heartwarming and wonderful. And uh, people just, they loved her so much that uh, they started a GoFundMe for her. Uh-huh. And uh, it, it ended up going up to $176,000 yeah. raised for this woman from, from like 7,000 donors. Uh, just, you know, casually, like you know, 10 bucks here, 20 bucks here. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that'll, that completely will change this woman's life. And it's, it's such a casual thing to just give a, a few bucks to... Yeah for thousands yeah. of people yeah i mean I, and to it to grease the wheels for people's joy you know because like one of the things that i think we're transitioning into hopefully is a world where ev- almost everybody's doing what they actually want to do sort of transitioning the utopia would be where everybody actually expresses their their truth constantly right hmm. and um the old world that we're leaving had structures in place that it made it really hard to to leave where you were and do something new um, and models like Patreon and Indiegogo and all these things uh, create a space for people to actually decide to to focus on their joy, if their joy happens to be one that can be channeled through the internet. Not everyone's can, but that idea that um, that people can just get direct access to what they want to do, anything that allows us to get people out of their ruts and into the kind of joyous explosion of themselves is uh, is really important. Yeah, I love that idea of of just greasing the wheels of people's joy and their creativity. Yeah. And that's that's certainly how I feel about it with you. It's like this first episode was uh it was so well done and there was so much to it and so much time put into it that I could only imagine if uh you know, you were the the, the gears of creativity were were greased even more and you know, fast forward like a year to like where the show's at at that point. Yeah. Um so I do highly recommend people check it out and also uh just, you know, sign up for the Patreon. I think, I think, I think it's a good cause. <laughs> yeah. When I decided to dive into it, you know, I live very much in the present moment. Uh, I try and act uh, on synchronicity and synchronicity and synchronism as much as possible. And so I'm moving in the directions of my passions and I'm on a daily basis, enjoying myself deeply. And that's what I know matters in terms of being in that state that I want to be in. Um, you know, the ultimate thing I think would be that I can make a living just doing this. Um, but I don't know what the right thing is for me in terms of my growth. And um, when I decided to leave my job and do this, I realized like best case scenario, you make a, you make it 
yourself able to be creative on this level full time. Worst case scenario, you make something real and you spend time doing something that actually is meaningful to you. Hmm. And there's no lose, like there's no lose in terms of the situation and that it'll take me somewhere new. Hmm. And you know, there's things about episode one that um, I learned in the process. And partly I'm excited to create a space for my creativity. Like episode one is a product, is an object, but also it's an engine for my own growth, right? It's like, I'm going to be forced to be making these every month and uh, I'm going to grow creatively through that process. Just trying new things and doing new things is going to turn me into a new artist. And so creating something for myself that I know will transform me is in its own way, like rewarding on its own terms. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Uh, and it's a good escape for people in this fascinating moment in time. Yeah. Right. What a weird time. Yeah, this this episode will probably come out and we'll already have a, a president. But as this episode's being recorded, it's it's just like this unknown, like no one really knows who's who's being elected. Yeah, today's Thursday, right? Yeah, Thursday, November 5th. Yeah, so the elections happened and it couldn't be closer, right? The numbers are literally <laughs> like this, which energetically I think is like where we're at as a society, right? Like we're right there. And then to hold that, like bring that tension into focus, and then hold it for days on end, yeah. I think like in a collective soul way is such an interesting thing to do, right? It's like some like tantric meditation where you take the energy and you let it sit and it's not going to release yet. Like it's coming. Um, and it's a message on the division, right? Like the problem with this is like, we all have other candidates that we lean towards, but like the problem is the hatred and the division. Mm. Like I personally have strong feelings about which candidates uh, are helpful for our society and which aren't. But the, the, the divisiveness is the problem. And like, I don't like the idea of my candidate winning and half the country feeling angry and hatred. Like, that's a problem that we have to work towards. And it's, it doesn't feel good to me. I've always like not liked conflict because I don't like anybody losing. Like, I, I want everyone to win together. It's one of the reasons that I, I've gravitated towards creativity rather than uh, more competitive spaces because I don't like this idea that my success is based on someone else's failure uh, or not failure, but you know, not, not having success. Uh, so how do we get out of this situation that like, yeah, we might get one, no matter what's going to happen, half the country is going to feel this sense of, of conflict at a height that we've never had before. You know, um, how do we move out of that? And it's tricky yeah. because I, I have really strong thoughts about the opposing, the opposing side from my perspective and how do you show empathy without letting go of your truths, you know, like without radiating your, your reality? Um, it's a tricky one. It is a tricky one. Yeah. And, and when I watched the last, so my, my, my thought process was like, these are the two worst candidates we've ever right. had. Right. Uh, and then, and then like, we're screwed no matter what. And then I watched the second debate and I was like, oh, actually, both of these candidates have heart. They each, they each have a, a, a pretty good heart, I think, behind all their stuff. Biden is a bit of a puppet and Trump is a bit of an egomaniac. And so that's kind of their, their you know, vices, if you will. And uh, it's, it's, it's interesting right now to see the rhetoric that's coming out. Uh, Biden seems to be playing it pretty chill. But then again, he's also a little bit ahead. So it looks like he may win. Um, he's chill. And then Trump is like... Uh, my my sister in law sent me a, for some some somehow she got subscribed to his newsletter, and this is like the official Trump campaign, and they're sending out emails that are like 
the the uh all about this like the left you know and, and how like evil they are and how bad they are and how they're trying to destroy everything and they're just trying to destroy the country they're trying to uh, make it a fraudulent election all this stuff i'm like wow that's some insane propaganda yeah and i was just like um you know i just based on that alone i'm like mm. like i love that trump shakes shakes things up yeah i think i think he's done a lot i mean you know we've seen the the Black Lives Matter movement, we've seen the Me Too movement was a huge movement for the feminine. And that all came post-Trump uh, election. Um, and, I love and, that. Yeah, I think that I I think that he played the role that he has been meant to play, you know, um, which is to shake things up. I mean, we talked a little bit about extraterrestrials or anything that's of that ilk of this sort of strange new landscapes. Um, if, if the human race is going to wake up to these realities of sort of transcendent magic that are real we have to get to a place where anything could happen you know Mm -hmm. and as a society when trump got elected everyone was like oh shit anything can happen (laughs) and i think that's important and i agree that i don't think that me too would have happened with hillary i don't think that black lives matter would have happened with hillary because as much as we'd like a utopia uh sometimes having an energy to push against gets you further you know and the people that um that moved those lines for uh, equality forwards did so as an echo to the energy that they perceived that Trump was putting out. And so I think that he's played that role. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm a glass half full kind of person. I constantly am reshaping my perspective based on the positivity within it, because I think that a, it's a better way to engage with reality and actually co-creates the positive outcomes that you want. Um, So uh, I tend to do that, but I, I, I agree. I think that his energy of shaking things up has been really important. I have issues with his, uh, what I would think of as toxicity and the kind of, uh, energy of division that from my perspective, he puts out. Um, but I also think that that stuff has to get on the table, right? Like as a society, when we, if, if the human collective is a person, when you are growing as a person, I'm, you know, you, you're a pretty awake person. I'm sure you've had a long journey with that that path and in that journey there's just shit that comes up right and you've got the darkness and the shadow and like illness comes up i had some big health crises in my 20s that really helped transform who i was and uh the the human body manifests rashes when you're processing deep emotional stuff and so like trump and that's also the toxicity from the left that is the polar of trump like all of that stuff that's on the table right now uh is there because it's our shadow, right? And like, we can't change our shadow if it's hidden. And so the fact that it's front and center, that it's, it's we can all process it uh, equally at the same time, um, I think is really important. And, yeah. and in, a, in a way, people, you know, I think he, what a weird dude, like what a weird guy he must be. But like on his soul level, like what a role to play, right? Like I'm going to come in and I'm going to be the embodiment of, a kind of patriarchal, aggressive, um, dominating energy. And I'm going to transform society as a shadow. Like that's a trip, you know, like I don't think he's conscious of it, but I think on a deeper level, like he's playing a role as the shadow, you know, like the shadow, how do we heal darkness and fear and, and talk and like the toxic parts of ourselves is we, we love them and we acknowledge them. And, uh, I love Trump for being the darkness, you know? 
Yeah, someone said uh, that he was an angel who lost a bet. He's <laughs> like, all right, so wait, I got to play the guy with such a huge ego that doesn't really care about anyone else, but then is a catalyst for helping humanity kind right. of break through. And yeah, during that process of, of personal evolution, you got to look at the shadows to shine light in the shadows to bring them to light. And we do need to see uh, kind of the underbelly of our society. And I feel as though the United States is uh, a very uh, high vibrational uh, symbol on the planet. And yeah. we are, we're kind of like the medium of what's currently happening, like the, the average of what's happening. You know, we're not like Scandinavian countries where it's like the happiness level is 100% and it's, it's run by, you know, people who want to make the world a better place. And it's not somewhere that's just like uh, run by a dictator who like literally like, will, you know, jail people who speak out. You know, so we have like, we're like right in the middle. Yeah. And we're the middle spot, right. Where we brought all the energies from all the places and we've mixed them into one. We one did. Energy. Yeah. Like, like quite physically we did. We brought all immigrants all together to create this country. And, uh, and as, as we collect, like we're doing good work for the world. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's worthy of recognizing that with, through all this division and kind of how bad the U S looks on a world stage, uh, we're doing really good work for the world. And this is stuff that humanity is currently dealing with and processing and working through. So it's, it's, it's a crazy time, but I love to remind people that it's going to be okay. And this right. is a necessary part of awakening. And whatever happens with this election will be what we need to do. You know, if we have to go deeper into the darkness, that's just where we're at. And it doesn't mean that we're falling. It means we're, we're going deeper to process more. And if we transform into new directions, uh, then that's what we're ready for. Um, yep. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, we weren't, we weren't quite ready for a highly compassionate uh, candidate like Bernie Sanders. Um, we, weren't, we weren't collectively ready for that yet. Unfortunately, I think it would have been nice, but uh, we will get whatever we're meant to get for our greatest soul growth yeah. <laughs> collectively. Yeah, 2024 will be interesting. What's going to happen then? Like that's oh. this next, this next Kanye, year. Kanye 2024. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, hearing him talk on Joe Rogan. He, I just watched clips of that before I came on here. Yeah, yeah he's he's a woke being. He's enlightened, man. He, he, he has that side of him that is like a manic or whatever, where he kind of goes crazy every now and then. So I don't think that would do well in the yeah. White House. Yeah, but I mean, he, his, his ability to channel information is part of that illness. I mean, bipolar, mm-hmm. I think, and all of these illnesses are just um, people who are tapped into energy streams that are, um, if it gets them out of balance, it's because they're uh, getting out of balance with how much is coming through them. But I think it's real stuff that comes through people. Yeah. Any yeah. craziness is just like channeling information on a level or a frequency or a, or a volume that's like overloading the system or just not playing with the collective in a way that uh, we're all used to. Yeah. It, with, the, with Trump, it's shown us that literally anyone can become president. Right. Which is good. You know, yeah, we want to break down that hierarchy of like who can be and who can't be. We have to get out of this, the two party system. We have to get out of um, I was watching a video last night about the system of voting that we have. Um, I forget what it's called officially, but it's this idea of everyone gets one vote and whoever has the most votes wins that in theory, it seems straightforward and, and simple, but actually systemically it creates it's, it's really problematic and that it creates the situations we have that you end up getting a minority rule because if everyone votes, then the person with the most that of those, everybody wins, which means that all these people didn't get their person. And that over cycles, it leads to two parties because you have the spoiler situation, which that you'll, if you try to run, all you do is let the person who's the most different than you 
get the spot. Um, so that actually systemically, the current system we have will only end up in the situation we're in. Like we'll only ever get Joe Biden's and Donald Trump's with the current situation. So the, that question is like, how do we get to that next level? I, I'm a big proponent of ranked choice voting. Mm. And my only thing I can imagine working for that is that someone gets in uh, from the two-party system who's interested in actively changing it. Because I can't imagine anyone being able to change it from the outside, you know, getting ranked choice um, into the system. Yeah, ranked choice voting is interesting in that you essentially rank, like, here's what I want for number one, number two, number three, and then those are all given precedence uh, for each voter. And it has its own issues. I mean, I don't know if it's an issue, but you end up getting in ranked choice the candidates who are most liked by the most people. Hmm. So, like, you don't get extremes as often. Uh, you would get someone, which is probably ideal, right? We want someone that's, like, most representative of the country, not the person who's the loudest with the highest base. Um, I'm, I'm really into extremes. Like I love times of transformation. I love times of change. I love going to that, that ultimate. So I, you know, I was a big Sanders fan as well. I was also in Yang and that, that kind of revolutionary energy to me would be really exciting. And I don't think you would be able to get that in our society with ranked choice, but you wouldn't, you would get someone that most people like, because you have situations where like, I'm like, I, I won't eat chocolate ice cream, but I'll have, I'll have strawberry. And you say, I will not eat vanilla, but I'll have strawberry. We all eat strawberry ice cream. And so it's like, nobody gets that ultimate that's most divisive, but we get the thing that we all want. And probably, especially in a time right now when we're so divided, like that's what we need, right? We need someone that is going to cool that sense of like toxicity and venom. You also get this phenomenon where like, you want other people to put you as their second, right? So like, Mm. you don't attack other people's bases because Mm. the ideal thing would be, okay, look, don't, you're not, I'm not your favorite candidate, but put me as your two, like put me as your two. And that like gets a vote towards you. Um, if, if you, if the one doesn't make it. And so you want everyone's basis to, to connect with you. Uh, and so this idea now that like, if Trump attacks the Democrats, he can win. Or if Joe Biden attacks conservatives and Republicans, he can win. That would start to disappear because you'd say, look, let me find a way to connect with the most people because I could be your number two or number three. And that still gives me a shot. Um, and so all of that energy of interconnection and like, and, and a sense of unity would really be healing. So is that like a point-based system? Like your number one gets five points and two gets. No, it's done through rounds. Ireland runs their economy. It runs their politics off of ranked choice. There's a really good radio lab about it. Um, I'm not an expert, but I believe, um, whoever you put as number one, if they don't get more than 50%, um, of the vote, they are discounted. And then in round two, whoever had as your number two becomes your vote. So there's this sort of, uh, there's like layers of shedding. Okay, your one didn't make it. So forget one, who was your two? Okay, now now you got a Joe Biden. Now you got a Trump. Okay, that person didn't make it, then shed it to go to three. So you have this kind of race happening. Um, in Ireland, it's, it's a whole event because like they'll have round one and then it'll be like, okay, here's where the candidates are. Oh, round two, so-and-so is closing in now because their number two has jumped over here. And it becomes this whole thing where like over the course of a day or two, they're all like tuning in and being like, oh, 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 up here, down here, up there. Um, and I'm really engaged in that process. To us, I think one of the things people say against it is like, oh, it's too complicated. Like people won't get it. It'll make things confusing. But that complexity turns into a public sport in countries that use it, um, which could a- add to engagement, you know, could add to this sense of, of excitement about your candidate coming up and down. Um, yeah, I'm not an expert on any of these things, but to me, it's a system. It just makes more sense to me to be like, okay, everybody, who do you prefer the most? Who was it, your second? Who's your third? 
we'll put all the numbers together and whoever is the most liked will get it. You know, like the idea that you only get one vote. I mean, you, in the in the ranked choice, you only get one vote, but it's it's done in a system of um, preferences, which energetically, I think, just gets paints a pig, bigger picture of each person. It's like, let me get a bigger snapshot of who each person is as a voter and take that into account when we're choosing that person. You know? Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, I, I would. I think that's that sounds like a great idea. If it were up to me, we'd switch it over today. Not, it's not up to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my thought is that I just it has to be a candidate who's elected from the two party system who believes in, you know, things like ending Citizens United, getting money out of politics. And maybe one of those things is is ranked choice voting. So someone who gets into office from the current system who's interested in shifting it. Um, yeah, that, 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 yeah, that'd be a huge. It has to be a non-establishment person who's not invested in Democrats versus Republicans. It has to be someone who's, um, which is possible, I think. I mean, we saw people like Sanders and Yang and like these outsiders um, come in in this election. And I think that's just going to grow. I think populism, the sense of like this growing number of people, the, the candidates that represent the people uh, as a whole instead of the few, um, that's a growing trend that's not going away. And each election is going to get more and more so. Um, I think it's coming. Yeah. When do when do new episodes come out for your show? They come out once a month. Um, it'll be around the first or second. I mean, this one came out on the second, so it'll probably be around the second in December. Um, it's at the turn of the month. Um, nice. So I'm, yeah. So and, I'm starting uh, to work on the next one right now. Do you have a kind of an idea of where it's headed, or are you just flowing as it goes? I'm flowing as it goes. I, I, episode two has taken shape, um, but I'm allowing it to each take shape each month because that's what's fun to me. I mean, living yeah. in the moment like that is where it's fun. And um, I might there might be longer season wide ideas that pop up that sort of take shape, um, uh, but it's an it's a season based it's an episode based thing. I have these binders full of ideas that I've just collected over the years. So partly I'm just popping out ideas and saying like, cool, let's get this idea into this episode. Let's get that into this episode. I have these sort of tomes of concepts and it's a space to me to sort of pull those out and say, cool, episode two is going to be this, this, this. I'll hit this idea. I'll have these kind of characters. Um, this will be the story structure. But a lot of it's coming up in the moment. So yeah. you do a lot of the animation and set design in Blender? Yeah. Blender, After Effects, uh, Premiere are, are my, my major tools. I mean, Photoshop and all that stuff, but um, 3D modeling. I'm also doing, there's some 2D animation in this episode, really light. There's some 2D animation and that's happening in Blender too. Blender has this great grease tool, which allows you to do frame by frame um, 2D animation within it. So I do that there. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. It's, it's something I've always thought how cool would it be to make a, a show or some sort of, you know, online thing where you were totally in a new environment right. because you literally, it's like a, like a fifth dimensional reality where you can, you literally have complete control over where you are, what happens, how yeah. the physics. Yeah. Of it. And the fact that each month I get to come up with that. I mean, uh, one of the rooms in my house is a studio that has a green screen and light set up. It's where I am right now. Um, it's, uh, and it's become a portal, right? Like the green screen represents the portal and uh, stepping into this space for me is stepping into the neosphere, the dreamiverse. And these technological tools that I've built up over the past decades are allowing me to sort of manifest that and put myself into these spaces and duplicate myself and interact with other versions of myself. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. It's, it's yeah. dreaming, dreaming into reality. It is dreaming into reality. Yeah, it, it's it's very inspiring. I mean, it just like I watch it and I get inspired. Uh, so it's really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, we live in a time, I, I think that I brought myself into this reality at this period of time on purpose. I think 
the technological transformation that's happening right now um, is just incredible. You know, the fact that I can sit down, I can, I can, okay, the show is filmed on my phone. You know, I have an iPhone 7, anything from like 6 onward, those phones are, those cameras are incredible. The show's filmed on an iPhone 7? Yeah. So I have a tripod. I have a tripod. I put my phone on the tripod. I I have a mic and I have some, you know, I I use um, a software called Filmic Pro that allows you to have full access to sort of um, all the the tools of your camera. It's like a a professional film quality software, but it's on the phone. Um, I have a mic for my phone, but it's done on my phone. I then transfer the files to the laptop. I sit on my laptop. I open up these software, I build these worlds, I put it all together. The fact that I can create something like, like that in my living room is wow. incredible. And it's not something that could have happened in the past, even maybe five, 10 years ago. I mean, I could have done it, but it would have been a slower pace. We're at this point now where like the speed of interaction in the digital space is just incredible. Like I can go from a, taking a video on my phone, to having it in After Effects, to exporting a video, to having it online in an evening. And that is wild, you know? Yeah. Uh, and we've all been learning this stuff, right? Like we came in to this reality as it was starting to transform. We grew up into this sort of like twinkling landscape of lights that we're all learning how to do. And now we become experts on these platforms and um, we've become people who can create like this, you know? And I think I came in at this time to ride that wave of, of creativity. Yeah, completely agree. I, I I also chose this this moment in time to incarnate to be born in a in a human body because of I think the internet. The internet is a saving grace for humanity. It's connected all of us. It's allowed the freedom of knowledge. That kind of age of Aquarius, like knowledge is is accessible and easy, and anyone can get it and share it. And uh, growing up with the internet, it's like you know I'm 38, so growing up with literally the you're probably familiar with like all of a sudden uh, the internet appears out of, out of nowhere. It's like, yeah, I remember when Google started, right. And it was like, Google, Oh, that logo looks weird. It's so wacky. People <laughs> would be like, childish, yeah, Google's yeah, weird, but, you, but like, finally you can find something like before Google, it was, you'd be like, the internet's cool. But like, how do you find anything? There were like directories were like, Oh, here's yeah. some cool websites. Yeah, There's links website. on every, the idea of searching for something and actually getting a result that was meaningful was not possible. And it's like those moments of transformation. I was a senior in high school when YouTube came out. YouTube came out, I think, in 2005. Wow, that's amazing. It was so recent. I mean, that's... Right? Doesn't that blow your mind? And before yeah. that, it was like, maybe uh, maybe you're on Daily Motion or something. But like video yeah. online was not a thing. And yeah. that transforms the internet, right? It's this visual, it's this visual space. Uh, yeah, we've been there for these moments of, of transformation. Or AOL, when it was like, what do you do online? I don't know. You go in chat rooms and like you check the weather, <laughs> like yeah. I think of the web of like exploring spaces and information online. Like that wasn't really a thing. So there was these stages where it sort of grew. And um, yeah, you and I have talked about this before. I think you had a question at the Bashar event, which was about social media and the future of social media in terms of the, the human collective. And it, it spurred me to come talk to you and sort of connect about those ideas. Cause I'd thought about that stuff before that, um, that the internet, and technologies like this are possibilities within us, right? Like we all have this sort of psychic connection with each other and we all have the ability to dream into reality and like tap into go astral travel and all this stuff. But like, it's just in the baby stages of, of our development. And these tools are allow us sing, allowing us to like, um, to create versions of that, right? They're echoes of those powers, but they're sort of using these tools to sort of allow us to do it physically. And I think it's possible that we continue to develop this interconnection of the web and this dreaming. I mean, AI is going to do crazy stuff in our mm. lifetime. 
neural networks and what they're going to do for creation. I don't know if you've interacted with like, there's this neural network um, AI dungeon is this game you can play online, which is a text adventure, right? Where you're like navigating, uh, pick up, pick up the, sh- the key, open the door, these kind of text-based adventures. But it's all done through one of these GPT neural network um, algorithms where it will respond genuinely to any prompt that you have. So their marketing of it is like, go on any adventure you want to have. So like you type in like, I'm a wizard walking down this road and it'll give you back feedback of like, you see a dragon in the distance and like there's a, a, a person there who needs helping. And you can go on these adventures based on interaction with this neural network that is, I think it was programmed off of um, the entire contents of Reddit. So it, it's not necessarily like based on Reddit structure, but it learned language through wow. this like archive. And that's the future of media is going to be interacting with these dreamscapes that are being bubbling up from these neural networks. And neural networks are algorithms that are structured like the human brain that are taught instead of programmed. And so they're essentially these echoes of, of what, a, what a mind is. So the future of, of the internet and technology is going to be this sort of dreamscape of interconnection. And um, I think it's entirely likely that that stuff will continue to develop. And then it'll, it'll transform our mind. It already has transformed our minds, but it will continue to transform our minds in a way that eventually it's a kind of scaffolding for something that's happening internally, right? That like psychic interconnection, I think is hap- like this sense that you have that you could go on Twitter or go on Facebook and talk to anybody or you could text anybody and they could text you and that you do. There's a physical re- reality to that, which is the digital back and forth. But there's also this sense of like anyone is re- right there. Like yeah. at any moment I could just toss something to somebody and, and it comes back. And that has the physical manifestation and then the energetic um, like sort of template level manifestation of creating a psychic back and forth. Like you're tuned in to everybody constantly. And I think that will continue to develop until um, we don't need the internet. You know, maybe we always have some version of it, but I think eventually that stuff's just happening through um, through our, our, our own or on whatever's, you know. I, I have this moment in the show that is about psychic interaction. Because um, I don't know if the mind is the right word. I don't, think, I don't think psychic connection happens in the mind. I think it happens in some deeper part of our conscious, our beingness, you know. Yeah, um, this, that like, the, the thread that, that has connected us all that's kind of invisible is like that, that connection. And, and yeah. It's like, I, I feel it often when you think of someone and they just like text you, like literally right then and there. It's like the, it's like the, the little drips of that concept and idea yeah. coming to fruition and coming online. And eventually it will come online where, because all of our minds, all of our beings, we are all connected as a single consciousness. Uh, we just haven't really learned how to collectively tap into that connection that we all have. Uh, and I think so, that we go ahead. Yeah, no, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, the internet is the trailing wheels for the, that yeah. second connection that will eventually. Yeah. I think of it as like a scaffolding or an architecture that eventually could fall away. You know, you build the thing and then you grow into the thing and then it falls away. And there you are with the, the structure for it. Um, about psychic connection. I think people are feeling, I mean, em- empathy is psychic connection, right? You're in a space with someone. And I think people are f- feeling consciously psychic back and forth of, of energy transfer on a regular basis, it's a fundamental aspect of their communication and they just don't know the name for it. Mm. I think when you talk to somebody and you have a sense of what they're feeling and saying and that you have that click in their eyes with somebody where you can like see their themselves inside of themselves and there's these moments of idea transfer that rides on the language from our mouths, I think that wouldn't be possible without a psychic layer. And I yeah. think 
when you feel empathy, you're literally feeling the energy transfer from someone else. We just think of it as something else. We think of it as normal. Hmm. But like, I think if you could turn off that psychic layer, the whole thing would fall apart, you know? Oh, and yeah, I think, absolutely. and kids growing, like I think children learn language and learn to become people because they're psychically tuned into their parents and they're empathizing on such a deep emotional level with the feelings and thoughts of their parents that they start to emulate that structure. Um, and I think we're all, like it's like we're fish in water, right? Like a fish doesn't know it's in the ocean until you take it out of the water or there's a big storm. Like we're in psychic interaction consciousness constantly and it's just our, our field. And so we have no sense that like, that's what's happening. We think, oh, I'm just talking and mm-hmm. someone knows words and like the words transfer, but there's this whole energetic back and forth. That's like the sea we live in that we're just not thinking of as anything, you know? Yeah. It, it, it reminds me of like what it might have been like as humans were developing language, like just before we develop language and it was just like grunting back and forth at each other. It's yeah. like, wait, like guys, there's something here with all these like grunts. I feel as though like potentially we could communicate through grunts. I mean, we can't yet, we can't communicate knowledge, but like, I feel as though that's possible. And without that, within the minds of humans that this is a possibility that we can transmit information to each other through grunts. It was just, it's just kind of like sparkling around that every now and then you get that feeling of like, wait, did we just communicate with those two? (laughs) (laughs) Language, language is wild. I I used to make a lot of art thinking and talking about language um, and the way that language structures the world around us. You know, the way that ideas um, that we literally live inside of language, that if you look at a table or a chair, the concept of tableness or chairness is, is part of what you're engaging with, that the words themselves and the, and the structure of language is actually the architecture of the space that we live in, and that without it or beyond it, um, it's a whole different reality. Like, like, what is a table when it's just part of a space? Like, the idea that a table ends and a chair starts, and that there's not just form, uh, is a concept. And so like, there's no things in the universe outside of language. There's just this, this gradient of vibrations and it's, it's thinginess is of the, of language, thinginess is of the mind. And the idea that there's like stuff anywhere is a concept that we created through the development of, of language. Alan Watts had these concepts of like uh, cutting the world apart or putting a net across everything that allows you to sort of separate this unending space into like separate discrete parts. Um, and that it's a create it's both a creative act and that like we live literally inside a created universe built out of language that we've developed and also that there's a space beyond that language like what is reality outside of language what is the table on its own terms does it even have um an existence outside of tableness and what is that existence beyond what we think about things is there a world beyond um the way that it's thought about or talked about um, yeah. Also, it's really fascinating to me. It, it really is. Uh, words make things real. Words make things. Yeah. things uh, oh, spell it out. They spell it out. Like uh, that's officially a table because now it has the word table and I can tell someone that's a table. Right. And it's like there are certain feelings and emotions and things that, that happen that don't yet have words to describe right. them. Yeah. And because there isn't a word to describe that feeling or thing that happens, it's not very real. And, and once, once they're like with a lot of like mental disorders and things like that, like they they were just like, oh, that person's just crazy yeah. uh, until they, they were defined. And this is, this is a thing now that yeah. we can apply a word to it. It's like, oh, he just has that, that, and, and 
this I think will come into play as we do gain these like psychic abilities and, and interconnected and kind of telepathy and all of that, because we don't yet have words for that landscape. Yeah. Um, and maybe language is the architecture that leads us to that space. You know, the, the interesting thing about psychic connection is that you don't need language because you just experience what someone else sends you or, or, or you vibe or you vibrate it on them with. Right. So like, I wouldn't have to say like, my name is Andrew I'm doing X, Y, and Z, I would send you my sense of self and the sense of my day. And you would receive that and you would immediately know what it was like to be me and what my day was like. And that would be my name to you, would be that sense of me, you know? It's like pure empathy. Yeah, like pure empathy. Psychic, the weird thing about psychic connection is like, it's just being someone else. Or like the idea that if I was, where, where does one person start and the other person stop? Like if I wanted to, know what it was like to be you and I had the ability to psychically connect to you my first layer would be okay I have a sense of what it's like to be Michael running deep shift and what his life is like but I have a sense of it as Andrew sensing it right which isn't really what it's like to be you what it's like to be you is to not be Andrew sensing you it would be to be you fully so I could move forward to towards you and say okay what is it like to be Michael on his own terms and all of a sudden if I were to fully grasp the picture of what it's like to be you, I would just be you, but we're all one consciousness anyway. So that that's you. Like you're like moving slowly from this discrete self to that discrete self. And once one self fully comprehends the other self, you just are the other person. And that is what the other person is. It's the one self being that part. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And, and once, once we do get even like remotely close to that, we're going to, we'll take care of each other yeah it's like yeah because there's no reason to not want to care for someone else when you have immediate knowing of what it's like to be them and all of their joy and pain and everything yeah to recognize Bashar had an idea about near-death experiences uh I think it was Bashar it could have been I'm also really into um Jane Roberts work with Seth and sometimes I I just finished yeah Seth Speaks great book there was an idea I heard somewhere which was that the experience of the near-death experience of the life review where people ex- express this idea that they felt like they could feel the actions that they had caused through their entire life. So they felt every action that they'd ever made from the perspective of other people. Um, it's sometimes modeled as like, I died and I lived every moment of my life, but instead of from my perspective, I felt it, I saw it from everyone else's perspective, which is a good and bad thing. And I think the idea of karma sometimes is like, if you hurt people, you'll eventually feel what it was like to be hurt. And we, often that idea was passed around as like some kind of download, right? Like the angels show up and they give you this lesson, right? Here's how you hurt everybody. But it, it got, it got illuminated in one, in either Bashar or Seth stuff as no, you're, no one's delivering you other people's experiences. You are moving into a space where you are connected as all that is, as the one. And as that being, you are everything. So in that moment, you knew what it was like to be all the parts of you simultaneously. And when you came back into reality, when you didn't die, it got downloaded, downgraded into this concept of, oh, I saw other people's pain. But it was like, no, no, you were other people's pain. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you were everybody for a moment and you felt what it was like to receive and give at the same time. And then you went back to the individual and turned it into, I saw them, you know, which mm-hmm. is such a cool idea. Yeah, it, it is. It is a cool idea. And you know, with the concept of words and things becoming real once they once they're defined, like 
let's say there are some people who are a little bit more tuned in and they can feel uh, kind of what people are feeling the moment they enter a room, like empaths, that kind of concept. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like it's like oh, we have we have empaths. Uh, until until a word like empaths exists, and I think there'll probably be more words when that connection starts to grow stronger and stronger. All of a sudden, if you can define that there are certain people who have these new traits coming online, they become you can see it. Yeah, they yeah. they are. Yeah, it's solidified, crystallized in this in this reality. But until then, it's just like, oh, I just got that sense, you know, like. Yeah, I haven't read Stranger in a Strange Land. Uh, I always want to, but there's a concept from that book that is called grokking, I believe, to grok someone. And that word always resonated with me. It's, I have to read the book, so I, don't, I can't really speak on it. But it's this idea of like vibing with someone, feeling what they're feeling, un- putting yourself in someone else's shoes fully. That's that empathing. And that, I, that word, to grok, or like to grok someone. Uh, I think it was really, it was going around a lot in the 60s during the Cultural Revolution that people were reading that book and using that term. And all of a sudden you have a word for that sensing of someone else's beingness and their perspective and their and empathy with them. And now that it had a word, it was a, it was an ability, you know, mm-hmm. it was a do and actualized yep. it. Yeah. Yeah. So Mr. Andrew, where can people find your episode? Where can they find you on the internet? How can people yeah. connect? Um, you can find me at andrewelijahedwards.com. I believe there's dashes. I'm sure you've got show notes for this that you could put it in, but um it's andrewelijahedwards.com. Uh, I think there's a dash between each of those names. And then if you went there, you would see in my first, in the top of my projects, the Andrew Elijah Show. Um, the show has a sub page, which is andrewelijahedwards.com backslash the Andrew Elijah Show. Um, but uh, yeah, that's where it's at. Uh, you can find act one there and, and watch uh, what I've created there. And then if that tickles your fancy, if you're into this sort of weird interdimensional philosophical magic, uh, you can watch act two for three bucks on Patreon. Yeah. Everyone go sign up for the Patreon. Three bucks. It's nothing. It's like pocket yeah, change. Pocket change. Yeah. Yeah. So I highly recommend that just to support a conscious creator. I think it's cool what you're doing. I like that the the underlying vibe of what you have going on is this, it's the spirituality and, and your monologue on fear was, it was just so good. Yeah. And, that's part that I'm really excited about. I mean, I'm excited about all of it and all these threads, but the idea of like embedding these really deep wakeful metaphysical concepts into something that's just fun and playful uh, is work that I really want to be doing. Uh, I mean, it it just gets me going, like talking about this stuff. And I don't, not everyone's open to it who aren't open to those ideas uh, on like a preachy new agey level. But if it's embedded in conversation and something that's just art, I think uh, it could really wake people up. I mean, the the monologue you're talking about is just, just, I go on for a while about what it means to live with fear as an individual and as a society and how do we, make a relationship with fear that allows us to transform it into some into flow states that resistance to fear is really the problem that fear itself is is part of us and not something to be pulled away from and that the only way to move past the fear that controls us is to be it so fully that it just it transforms and that resistance to the idea of being afraid or, or to to pulling away from reality is the thing that we have to figure out how to not do um or or allow us to do right like uh it's time for us all to wake up and be our fullest selves. And it's really important, but it's really important that you don't take it seriously, mm. <laughs> you know, because tensing is what messes the whole thing up, right? Flow states happen when you allow them to happen and you rest into them 
And when you and when you say, oh, it's really important that I flow right now, right? Like I'm gonna come on Michael's show, and it's really important that like mm. I'm my best version of myself. Like if you make that really tense, you just squash it, right? Uh, but at the same time, it's a big deal. <laughs> like it's a big deal that we all turn into the the infinite versions of ourselves, but not in a tense way. So it's this paradox of like super important that you don't take this seriously and also do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep. dance. yeah. Yeah. Cool. Oh, embedding that stuff into the show is going to be really exciting as I move forward. Yeah. Well, I can't wait. I can't wait for uh, future episodes and I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. And do you have any parting words for people who are watching and listening in? Um, thanks for being here with us. Uh, if you like my vibe, come hang out at the show. Um, our country and our collective consciousness is at the edge. And hopefully by the time this has come out, that's moved in a direction. And whatever happens is going to be the best thing for all of us. So we'll all ride it out. Andrew, Elijah Edwards, thank you so much for being on. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. And thank you guys for watching this episode of Deep Shift. Stay tuned for the next episode coming up with Awakened World Changers. I'm Michael Armstrong, signing off.